Hi, it's Rob West. Do you need help developing a spending and or debt reduction plan? Trained MoneyWise coaches can assist using practical tools and biblical insights to get you on track. You can request a MoneyWise coach by going to moneywise.org and clicking the community tab. Are you a parent in a blended family or planning to be one? If so, you need to get answers to a lot of financial questions. I am Rob West. Blended families face more challenges for getting the marriage to work, but getting everything out on the table is a big step toward making that happen. I'll talk about that today with Ron Deal and Greg Pettis. Then it's on to your calls at 800 525 7000. That's 800 525 7000. This is MoneyWise, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. So Ron Deal and Greg Pettis are back with us today. They're co-authors of the Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. And when they were on last month, there wasn't nearly enough time to cover everything on this important topic. So Ron, Greg, great to have you back with us today. Thank you so much. We enjoy it. Thank you. Great to be back. Gentlemen, last time we talked about the togetherness agreement. That's a legal binding contract that you urge all spouses and blended families to draw up. I'm a big fan of it. But to do that, you have to answer some really important questions about money first. I know you have a long list of them on your website at familylife.com slash blended. And I want to go over as many of them as we can today. So, gentlemen, let's dive right into number one, and that is, what are your financial obligations to your ex-spouse, such as child support and alimony? This is a really important question to get out in the open, isn't it? Yes, it really is, because it represents how you're going to move forward, and it's going to have a lot of influence into the life that you have together as a couple. So whether somebody's listening right now and they're dating or planning to get married or already married, if you haven't discussed this, we say get it out there. Now, the divorce decree, if one of you is divorced or if one of you is widowed, then you may have some some thoughts there. But for that person with a divorce decree, that's going to outline the details that really everybody should be familiar with you and your current spouse or uh, somebody that you're dating. I I, want to say, even though there's clarity because of the divorce decree, the moral issue is following through with it, right? Uh, And and just, I have to say this, unfortunately, some parents fall short of paying child support. Um, Mm. Sometimes people get into these little, well, I don't like the way they're parenting, or I don't like the way they spend the money that we, like, that's really not up to you. (laughs) You have a responsibility and an obligation. Uh, You know, the first Timothy 5, 8 passage, we talk about somebody that, that does not provide for their relatives uh, is, is especially for the members of their own household that the scripture says has denied the faith. I think that applies to obligations you have to, to a former spouse. Mm. Uh, that's your responsibility and you need to follow through with that. Mm. Well, and Ron, these are, these are, you know, very significant financial commitments. Yes. Uh, when they said I do, I mean, child support, uh, can go all the way up through age 18 unless the child is unable to receive self-sufficiency or unless there's a uh, attending school full-time up to four years, alimony can last a lifetime, depending yeah. on how long one was married and other factors. So these, yes. are, these are long commitments. Yes, that's exactly right. And Greg, then there's the question of additional support for children from the first marriage. What are those? 
Well, in some divorce decrees, these extras, we call them, could include the education of the child. And that usually it's a sharing arrangement. You know, it could be according to the spouse's incomes or percentage-wise, but also extracurricular costs. You know, there are more and more children who want to travel with the sports team yeah. or summer camps. Sure. And not to mention medical and health care costs, you know, dental, orthodontic braces, chiropractic care, insurance policies, eye care, glasses, et cetera. There's a lot more that could be piled on. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Ron, just a minute before our first break, if you're on the receiving end of this, the question is, how should we use what we receive in child support and alimony? And what if we don't receive it? Well, child support, obviously, that needs to go to the care of the child. You don't get to go on a personal vacation with that yeah. sort of thing. You need to provide for your child. Um, alimony, it's up to you, right? You're able to appropriate that however you want. Now, if you don't get child support, now this obviously is breaks into this co-parenting arrangement and what kind of relationship do we have working together as former spouses. Uh, when money doesn't change hands, it's difficult. The last thing you want to do is quickly run to court. I think that just creates more problems. But if there's a habitual problem, then maybe you do need to involve an attorney. Mm, yeah, that's very good. Well, a lot more to come. We're going to unpack a number of questions you need to be talking about as a blended family or if you're preparing to be a blended family. What about financial plans, retirement assets, parents, that and much more coming up just around the corner. We're joined today by Ron Deal and Greg Pettis, authors of the Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from One Ascent Investments on the MoneyWise program. They manage a comprehensive suite of value-based investment strategies designed to help Christian investors live aligned with what they value most. One Ascent believes that if your values inspire the way you live, they should also inspire the way you invest. This can be a unique form of worship. More information is available at investments.oneascent.com. That web address is investments.oneascent.com. When it comes to investing guidance, you want advice grounded in God's Word. That's the approach offered by Sound Mind Investing. SMI has helped tens of thousands of Christians acquire investing wisdom and confidence. Regardless of your investing experience or how much you have to invest, you can learn to be a wise and faithful steward in the area of investing. A short video webinar on profit and peace of mind is available now at soundmindinvesting.org. Delighted to have you with us today on MoneyWise. I'm Rob West. Joining me today, my good friends Ron Deal and Greg Pettis, co-authors of The Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. If you are a blended family or you're preparing for an upcoming blended family uh, in your life, this is the resource you need to have, and you can learn a lot more at familylife.com slash blended. Today, we're working through a list of questions that you need to put on the table as you're preparing to put together a togetherness agreement, a document you can learn more about on that website. And gentlemen, as we work our way through these questions, Greg, I want to come to you next. There's this huge question of when one of us dies, who will receive the assets brought into our marriage? How should folks think about that? That is such a powerful question. And you know, Rob, no two blended families are the same. 
Yeah. So it's so important to sit down and do some comprehensive financial planning with, you know, your team of trusted advisors that share your values. That's important. And when you do so, try to divide your goals into needs, wants, and wishes and prioritize accordingly. Mm. And seek expert legal advice and tax counsel before you implement any strategy. But many financial planners, conceptually, they look at the growth assets that you brought into your marriage as possible key inheritance assets. These growth assets get stepped-up basis at death. So your children could inherit those and not pay income tax because the basis is stepped up at the date of your death. Income-producing assets could be key for your spouse. And the usage of life insurance is always the great equalizer. I'm dealing with high net worth business owners. that say 90% of their wealth is in a business. What are we going to do for the children that are not involved in the business? So life insurance can be a great equalizer. That's really helpful. Ron, I want to follow up on this with you from a spiritual and a relational standpoint. Is it okay if we decide we want to keep assets that were acquired or accumulated prior to marriage separate uh, to give to our kids? Some folks struggle with that spiritually, understanding that God's design for marriage, even a new marriage, is oneness. Uh, Okay, let me break the question down, because on the surface, it sounds like, is it okay to keep my stuff, my stuff, and not share with my spouse or my spouse's children? But really, the fundamental question here, spiritually speaking, is how do we care for everyone? It could be that we do keep assets within um, a family line, if you will, from one generation to the next. But like Greg just said, At the same time, we're going to say, but how do we care for the people who are not included in that? It's not like uh, we get and you don't. It's how do we share with everyone something that communicates their value, that it cares for them in a way that's appropriate. So the answer is yes, some things can stay within the family generational line, but there needs to be that reciprocation or consideration, I should say for the other family members on the other side. What do they get? Maybe it's life insurance that goes their direction. But at the end of the day, everybody is getting what they need. Yeah, very good. All right, the next one, staying in this category of financial plans, uh, what are the financial plans for your children if you die or are unable to work? And by the way, if you don't have a plan, you need to get one, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. This brings us back to the together disagreement that you mentioned at the top that we discussed a little more detail on the last time we were on your program. Uh, In a heartbeat, what I want to sum this up, it is, okay, you may have had a plan when you were a single parent and the other person had a plan for their life. Now that you're married, we need to have a togetherness agreement plan that that is is mindful of each one of us. How do we care for one another? Should one of us pass away? And at the same time, how do I care for your kids and you care for my kids should the worst happen? That's essentially the heart of what a togetherness agreement is. We are financing togetherness for our family unit, not separateness, not what I get and you don't, not my kids, not your kids, but a togetherness plan. We really believe, Greg and I believe, we're not just figuring out what to do with money with a togetherness agreement. We are helping blended families form a family identity and a sense of solidarity. That's Mm. why we call it togetherness because in the negotiating of the plan, if you will, how we care for each other, 
We are communicating value to everyone. We are communicating all belong. Nobody's an outsider. All belong and are insiders to this family unit. And that is an expression of love at the end of the day that we think over time facilitates more and more togetherness. And on the money side, uh, really, we really would focus and we would, we would ask others to look at is the ability to ensure your ability to earn an income. So disability yeah. income is one of the most overlooked areas. I mean, our income is the engine that drives all the goals, but also life insurance. I mean, one of the core factors of economic value of a human life is our ability to earn that income. And so looking at multiples of income replacement, if I wasn't here, how many years would my spouse need to replace my income in the form of life insurance? There's mm -hmm. rules of thumb, but best to sit down with your planner and let him or her look, th look through your specific needs and your current assets and put together a specific plan for you. Yeah, that's really helpful. We're working our way through a list of questions you need to put on the table as a blended family, specifically related to finances. Gentlemen, they say you don't just marry a person, you marry their whole family. So this next question that you need to put on the table is, do you have any financial commitments to your parents, siblings, or other family members, right? Yes. And, you know, we sort of alluded to this already. Uh, maybe your children are invested in your family business. And so there's already this notion that it's going to be passed to them. They're invested. They've been working in it, perhaps, or looking forward to the day when they are working in it. And now the other side of the blended family, if you will, it doesn't have any involvement or investment in that. So there's sort of naturally that commitment. But here's the thing that we want relationally for couples to do. I think it's important for let's say a, a man owns a business and his oldest son is looking forward to taking it over one day. He, the husband, needs to now explain to his wife what that's all about. What's the story behind my son taking over the business? Yeah. Maybe this is a generational thing. Maybe there's a, hey, we bonded as father and son through the years yeah. about all of this. And there's a relational aspect to the history behind the commitment. That helps give some context to a stepmother, for example, so that she's not just seeing, oh, my husband's greedy. He's holding this for his kid. Uh, no, there's a story here. And I can respect that story and what's involved there and the meaning that it holds. The next question is what we've said previously. Okay, that's great for your son. What are we doing? How are you going to help provide for me and my kids? That becomes the second question, and it'll have yeah. its own answer. Yeah. And there are tools that you can pull from the toolbox with your financial planning team that are like Swiss Army knives, so to speak. They utilize mm -hmm. every opportunity to help the spouse and the children at your passing. One of them is a qualified terminal interest property trust. We call it a Q-tip. It would reserve assets for your spouse to live from while you're gone. And at their passing, it would revert back to the beneficiaries that you chose, which could be children from a previous marriage or charity. Ah, a really helpful tool and probably not the Q-tip most people think about when uh, they hear that term. Uh, really helpful, gentlemen. Hey, so many questions, so little time, guys. We're going to have to end it there, but we'll have to have you back again real soon to continue to unpack this. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Greg Pettis and Ron Deal, authors of the Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. The website again, familylife.com slash blended. This is MoneyWise. For a bit longer anyway, we'll change our name in the new year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Do you ever feel stressed or anxious about money? If so, that's normal, but you don't have to accept that. You can find peace of mind and financial security. Learn how with the 31-day devotional, Money Seeking God's Wisdom. You'll find powerful scripture and practical exercises for spiritual and financial growth. You can request your copy with a gift of any amount. Would you consider a monthly or one-time gift by December 31st? Just visit moneywise.org slash give. You probably have a strategy for your finances, your career, even your retirement. But do you have a strategy for your giving? At the National Christian Foundation, we can help you create a giving strategy to inspire your family, maximize your resources, and leave a lasting legacy of faith. To learn how, visit moneywise.org slash ncf. Welcome back to Money Wise, where God's Word meets your financial decisions and choices. Hey, have you considered a gift to Money Wise Media? We're listener-supported. As a nonprofit ministry, we do what we do on the air and in our app as a result of your generous support. And beyond the giving to your local church, if you would consider a gift, we'd certainly be grateful. You can head to our website, moneywise.org. Just click the Give button, and you'll find a way to give online, over the phone, or through the mail. Again, a gift to Money Wise Media is taxed deductible, and we'd certainly be grateful for whatever you can do. Moneywise.org, just click give. Thanks in advance. Uh, we've got two lines open, 800-525-7000. Belinda's in Chicago. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I have a question and some concerns. I filed bankruptcy a couple of years ago. I reached the discharge date where I can actually purchase my home. I have money saved for down payment. My credit score is 760 now. And I have 30000 in credit card debt that I'm not using. So I want to know what can I do to not put myself at risk again? Sure. Tell me exactly what you would be looking, you'd be looking for the credit. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, because I'm going to need the credit in order to actually obtain the mortgage. So, you know, with the inflation and nobody knows where that's going to go. Yes, very good. Well, I think the key is you just want to, you know, try not to borrow for anything, uh, you know, and try to pay down the debt as much as you can. If you were to buy a home, you want to save 20% for the down payment, which would avoid the private mortgage insurance, ensure that you have enough equity in the home, but really take a close look at your budget. Uh, and make sure that it fits well within your income. And a good rule of thumb for that principal interest taxes and insurance payment would be 25% of your take-home pay. And as long as you really keep that uh, mortgage payment within that 25%, uh, then you should be in a good position to make sure you can cover everything else out of the remaining income, which is where that guideline is not a hard and fast rule, but just that, a guideline can help you make sure you don't get overextended, putting you back back into his position uh, like you were in before. Does that make sense? Right. It does because I don't have any debt now. I don't, all I have is my monthly rent payment. That's all of my car insurance. That's all I have. You know, I'm yes. able to pay those and have, you know, a surplus left over. So it's just, I, I guess, like you said, just keeping out my budget and make sure I don't go out and 
do anything extreme or crazy and just kind of like let it stay like it is, basically. I think that's right. It sounds like you certainly have gotten your financial house in order. As long as you really have a, a good plan, you have an emergency fund to fall back on, which of three to six months expenses, uh, you know, you don't uh, presume upon the future with your borrowing and you try to operate as much as you can on a cash basis. And then, you know, as you build up that surplus, starting with the emergency fund and then longer term savings for things like cars and other things as you need them. Uh, you know, I think that's really the key, Belinda, uh, to moving forward and making sure you don't ever put yourself in a really difficult spot again. So listen, all the best to you. I'd love for you to stay on the line. I want to send you a copy of Howard Dayton's book, Your Money Counts, that I think will be an encouragement for you as uh, you think about God's way of handling money. We appreciate your call today. To Rock Island, Illinois, Michael, you've been very patient, sir. Go right ahead. Yeah, thank you for the call. I, I appreciate the uh, time. So I'm, I'm sure. looking at, uh, right now, my wife and I, we have $33,000 in savings. And we're looking at a property, an investment property close by, um, hopefully to buy uh, from about fifteen to about $20,000 top. This is a potential for a rental, but also for a flip and sell. And I, I'm, I'm more hesitant about the flip and sell considering property, um, considering capital gains tax and, and whatnot. But um, what what's the best option here? What What is the most attractive option if we were able to get this, this property? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I think there's a couple of questions to be answered first. And the first is, uh, so you guys would, you know, not drain your emergency savings, but let's say it's, you know, down to 10 to 13,000. Uh, what does your cash flow look like versus your expenses on a monthly basis? And what does that mean just in terms of your ability to build that back up and have some margin there? Yeah, so right now, um, we are, basically, we are paying all of our bills at about $2,400 a month. Um, we get about $1,400 a month extra uh, in income. So we're looking at about uh, 1400 every month. Um, so that, that's why our, our savings has actually grown. We haven't touched it okay. Uh, okay. since that started happening. And you think you could add more than 1000 a month, correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. And- all right. And obviously, you know, our antennas go up anytime you say I'm going to buy a piece of property for fifteen to 20000 So tell me about that and how much you'd need to put it in, in it to get it to a place where you could rent it out. Yeah. So so basically, this is, uh, this is a property that was uh, bought on a, sa- a tax sale uh, from a, a private company. Um, they usually make their money on taxes um, or on the, uh, the uh, interest rate. I take that back, yeah. the interest rate on it. And then they sell. Um, just had multiple conversations. Um, we're looking at that uh, price range basically um, because we're pretty sure that's what it's going to cost. Um, in the end, I think uh, if we can put some equity, sweat equity into it, um, turn it around, it's been unoccupied for about three years. Uh, but if we can put some sweat equity into it, uh, turn it around, I think uh, I think we're looking about five to ten thousand uh, dollars putting into it if everything's working well uh, we're talking about if it still has a functioning AC uh, functioning HVAC um, you know some of the other stuff I'm very well uh, acquainted with in terms of making fixes myself so that's a yeah. that's a benefit there with a lot of sweat equity 
So yeah, I guess my only concern is, um, you know, obviously when you buy these properties in this case on an auction, you're generally not able to inspect them uh, before bidding. Uh, you typically need a pretty healthy cash reserve, which just to buy it, we'd be draining a good bit of that. And even though you have, you know, twelve hundred a month extra, and you're going to do a lot of it yourself, I think you need to expect that it's going to need more work than you expected, given how long it's sat vacant, and it's going to take more time than you expected, perhaps to get it to a place where it is viable as a rental, you could in effect drain your cash reserves, which just puts you in a bit of a difficult spot. I mean, if, if you're able to wait and buy another property down the road after you've you know built these reserves up a little bit more, I would be more comfortable with that. If you did go ahead with it, obviously, you just want to make sure that you know, you want to be a landlord and all that comes with that, both getting it to the place where it is able to be rented and then beyond that, maintaining it, dealing with, uh, you know, the repairs that come along the way. And, uh, you know, right now, if you sell it within a year, it's going to be essentially uh, taxed at the same rate as your ordinary income versus a long-term cap gain at 15%. Well, the delta between the two, you just have to ask, is it worth it? for me to become a landlord or would I be better off just flipping it and selling it and moving on to the next one rather than putting a lot of money in it uh, just given how much time goes into all of that not to mention the time and effort in being a landlord so I think you have some things to think about I'd probably take the conservative route and punt on this and maybe get another one down the road but uh, some things to think about if you guys decide to proceed thanks for your call well we're out of time once again but we'll come back and do it all again next time I appreciate your carving some time out of your busy day to join us here on the program. We have covered a lot of ground, it seems, and that's always the goal. My thanks to our amazing team today. I'm Rob West. I'll be back again next time and hope you will, too, for the next edition of Money Wise. Money Wise is provided by Money Wise Media and listeners like you.